Jesus knows that he's going to die. He can see it clearly, plain as day. For too long, he's offended the wrong people, dangerous people with the power to make him disappear. Well, disappear for three days. We all know how that story ends. But we don't know how our story ends. The road before us is dark, but it's the only road we have. Can we find the courage to walk it? And if we squint hard enough, can we see what lies on the other side? The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 12. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, the light is in you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Growing up in Connecticut, we'd all heard the stories about the black dog that roamed the hinterlands and untamed forests of New England. They called it the guy trash, a spectral beast with obsidian fur and eyes like burning coals. It was said that whoever found this monster and met its gaze would be uh, blessed with the devil's own luck and good fortune beyond their wildest dreams. But if you should cross paths with it again, someone close to you would die. And if you should see it a third time, look into its piercing eyes again, your own death would inevitably follow within days. So naturally, my brother and I had to go looking for it. Surely this cursed hound was an old wives' tale meant to keep children from wandering too far into the forest alone. 
Well, that was a warning that we probably ought to have heeded. But we've all done stupid things when we were younger, right? We were teenagers then, and my brother had a friend, Danny, that was old enough to drive. And so, late one night, the three of us headed for Cornwall, only an hour or so from where I grew up. When you live in Connecticut, everything is only an hour or so from where you grew up. On the outskirts of Cornwall, we arrived at Dark Entry Road, a rumor-shadowed path that runs through a stretch of woods that belong to the Dark Entry Forest Association. Now, incidentally, my brother, uh, now all grown up and employed by a local community foundation in Connecticut, has since had some dealings with this association. He claims that they're a secretive group that are primarily concerned with pe keeping people off of their property. That's probably because Dark Entry Road is also the only means of reaching Dudley Town, an abandoned colonial village that happens to be one of the most haunted places in America. It tends to attract a lot of curious teenagers like us. But we weren't looking for Dudley Town. We were looking for the hound from hell. It was an ill-fated venture. After a driving just a couple of miles down the path, our progress was halted by this enormous tree that had fallen and blocked the single-lane road. Realizing that we could go no further, nor was there any room to turn around, Danny attempted to drive backwards the way we'd come from. And within just a few moments, he'd managed to back the car into a large ditch, leaving us completely stranded in this dark forest in the middle of nowhere. This was long before anyone had a cell phone, and I doubt anyone could get a signal out there anyway. So there was nothing for it but to walk back to the nearest gas station. It was nearly midnight, and to say that it was dark would be an understatement. Even the moonlight was dimmed by clouds in the thick tree canopy. Beyond the glow of the car's headlights, there was nothing at all. We stepped into that darkness, completely blind, unable to see even six inches in front of us. The silence was broken by the distant echo of a lonely howling in the void. Did you hear something? <laughs> Truly, these were dark days. The world Jesus inhabited was occupied territory, governed by a Roman nobleman, Pontius Pilate, with delusions of grandeur and a penchant for brutality. People were sick, they were poor, and they were desperate. They were ruthlessly exploited by the Romans who demanded hefty taxes and exploited by their own religious leaders that demanded tribute in exchange for God's good graces. Much like today, I'm sure that a lot of these folks were blind to the bigger picture, unable to see past the troubles of their own daily existence, unable, perhaps, to see their part in the larger system. Much like today, they walked in darkness. 
But Jesus, as a penniless vagrant, literally exists outside of the system, off the grid. I saw one of those Jesus Gets Us ads that have been all over the place lately, especially since they had a commercial during the Super Bowl. And this particular ad was claiming that Jesus had to pay taxes like the rest of us. He gets us, it concluded. But I'm not sure that's entirely true. Yes, Jesus does encourage folks to pay their share to the Romans, render unto Caesar, and so on. And there is one account in Matthew's gospel of Jesus paying his own taxes, but in typical Jesus fashion, he does it by catching a fish and pulling a couple of coins out of its mouth and handing it to the tax collector. I don't think that would fly with the IRS. Jesus has no money to pay taxes. The guy is completely broke. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have health insurance, though I suppose Jesus doesn't have much use for health insurance. But his situation gives him a uniquely clear perspective on things. Upton Sinclair famously said that it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. Jesus, having no salary to speak of, understands things perfectly. He sees it clearly, the ways that empire and greed and exploitation comprise a system that disenfranchises the many for the benefit of the few. In that sense, Jesus is a light in the darkness, shining upon truths that are often obscured, a prophet of things that we'd rather not see or hear. And he can see his own demise, too, waiting a little further on up the road. The light is with you for a little longer, he tells his disciples. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness may not overtake you. The three of us walked in total darkness, trying to follow the path, occasionally stumbling over a rock or a pothole. I told you there were a lot of stories about these woods. There was Dudley Town, there was the Black Dog. There were also rumors of satanic cults and rituals, which my brother's friend Danny helpfully reminded us of as we tried to put one foot in front of the other. This was not the kind of place she wanted to be lost in the middle of the night. From time to time, I thought I saw a light off in the distance amongst the trees, the dim flicker of flames, perhaps belonging to some ritual. But it was just my imagination. Your eyes play tricks on you in the dark, don't they? But after about a half an hour of stumbling in the gloom, I saw a pair of lights that slowly grew brighter and larger as they got closer. The headlights of a pickup truck that was headed straight for us. As the truck drew nearer, it slowed down and stopped, and the three of us just stood there staring at it, the dust from the road swirling in those ominous headlights. A man opened the door and stepped out, his heavy boots disturbing the gravel. You boys are a long way from home, I reckon, he said, his face obscured by shadows. In one hand, he gripped what looked to be a tire iron. You know, there's a lot of crazy people out here after dark, 
He mused, stepping closer. I feel like I'm squinting my eyes these days, trying to see things more clearly, trying to see the world more clearly, and frankly, the broader outlines that have begun to emerge terrify me. I see alarming patterns, correlations, connections. Over the last couple of years in particular, I've begun to see what looks like a clear relationship between things like the climate crisis and ecological overshoots, resource shortages, economic inequality, social unrest, xenophobia, violence, war. I feel like I can see things more clearly than I ever have before, the way that all of these existential problems fuel one another in devastating feedback loops. It's no secret that our industrial society is destroying our ecosystem, killing the planet, drying up rivers and devastating crops, leaving traces of plastic in everything from rainwater to neonatal tissue. These fossil fuels are warming the planet, but without them, civilization collapses. We depend on these for everything, from fuel to building materials like concrete and glass and steel, to ammonia and fertilizer that make large-scale agriculture possible. And while renewable energy like solar and wind are fantastic and they really can help local communities to be more resilient and sustainable, we often fail to realize that these require massive amounts of non-renewable energy to harvest and transport and build and maintain at scale. They're a step in the right direction, but they're not a cure-all or a panacea. So as the temperature slowly rises and fire, drought, and flood devastate our breadbaskets, resources are hoarded, worsening economic inequality that's already off the charts. And as standards of living go down, people look for scapegoats to blame. Conveniently, people different from themselves, those people, right? People of color or immigrants or gay or transgender folks, egged on and encouraged by authoritarian politics. Systems teeter on the edge of collapse as progress is reversed. This is exactly what happened in the UK with Brexit over the last couple of years. And it can happen here. As resources grow leaner, violence erupts, creating even more problems. There's even a word for this now. We call it the poly crisis. Sometimes I feel like I can see it all clearly. Sometimes I feel like Cassandra of Greek mythology, cursed by the gods with visions of a future that no one else really believes. And sometimes I think I'm imagining it all, seeing things. Your eyes play tricks on you in the dark. Maybe I'm searching for patterns that aren't there. Maybe I'm still just a teenager stumbling around in the woods looking for something that doesn't even exist. You know, there's a lot of crazy people out here after dark, the man said, stepping into the headlights of his truck. I could see him clearly now, kind of a hippie-looking fellow with a warm smile on his face. Y'all need some help? 
The guy followed us back to the car where he hooked a chain to Danny's sedan and dragged it out of the ditch. Turns out we'd busted a tire too, which the friendly stranger had helped us to replace. And with his assistance, after an hour or so, we found ourselves at a nearby gas station, returned to civilization. The car was pretty scratched up, but Danny made up a story about getting sideswiped so he wouldn't get into trouble with his parents. We never did find the dog, of course. Guess we never really expected to, but sometimes I wonder if something didn't follow me home from those woods. You see, the black dog is more than a local urban legend or a bit of folklore. It's a popular metaphor for depression and despair, dating all the way back to the Roman poet Horace. Now, I recognize the problematic nature of equating the color black with negative aspects, I do, but as someone who struggles with that condition, I find it relatable. Sometimes it really does feel like there's a shadow trailing you lurking just outside your peripheral vision. It's like a dog following his owner, except that if you're not careful, the dog owns you. And the shadow envelops you like a fog, blinding you to all of the good in the world. And there is good in this world, and it is worth fighting for. When I consider all of the predicaments that we face in the 21st century, I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think I'm being paranoid. I believe these are real problems, but I have to admit that I'm not seeing things clearly if I fail to see anything good. On that night all those years ago, I thought for sure those headlights belonged to a killer on the road. I thought this is how I was going to die. But he was really our savior. No, not that savior, but a savior, in a manner of speaking. People like that make all the difference in this world. And we can be that kind of person, too. Someone who sees a little more clearly in the dark. In the words of songwriter Leonard Cohen, a saint does not dissolve the chaos. If he did, the world would have changed long ago. I don't think that a saint dissolves the chaos even for himself, for there is something arrogant and warlike in the notion of a man setting the universe in order. No, Cohen says, something in him loves the world so much that he gives himself to the laws of gravity and chance. Far from flying with the angels, he traces with the fidelity of a seismograph needle the state of the solid bloody landscape. His house is dangerous and finite, but he is at home in the world. He can love the shape of human beings, the fine and twisted shapes of the heart. It is good to have such people among us, such monsters of love. Seeing clearly is to recognize what's standing right in front of us for what it is just as Jesus recognized that his own death was near. But seeing clearly also means seeing through the horror to what lies on the other side. The promise of Easter, which tends to arrive 
in unexpected ways. Seeing clearly means walking in faith, even when you can't see anything at all. And we are sustained on that journey as we gather at this table. Amen.